following program is intended for mature audiences. The time is now for the hardest hit, yet completely trivial, football show on the planet. You are in rarefied territory. Ladies and gentlemen, well, well to the broken helmet. Let's rock. Welcome! Coming to you live on tape on this August 9th. Yet another new Monday, another new week. The Broken Helmet is here to kick off week two of the NFL preseason. Which can only get better after that dud of a preseason game last Thursday. I mean, stink a rue. Oh, horrific. Fucking horrific. Man, it was... uh, Game over, man. From the very beginning. From the very beginning. That game was really fucking bad. Don't be rude. Sorry, Don. Just telling the truth. I mean, Hall of Fame games are always a little stanky. Stanky, Don Herrera. Stanky. Always a little stanky. But... That was an all-time piece of shit. Whoa. Now, Fox did their best to try and salvage the broadcast with all of their other stories and the double dose of the Hall of Fame inductees. But there was no salvation for that game at all. It was a goner. I mean, it started off, you were hoping for the best, and sure enough, as soon as that damn game started, it was over. But you kind of knew it, right? Because Dak wasn't going to play. Um, he is going through the, the mysterious arm injury of some sort. So he didn't I, you know, He didn't even travel. And so you knew it was over from the beginning. But all across the board, that game was just no good. Tough to watch. I tried to watch. I think I got into the second quarter before I just ultimately passed out. Ultimately passed out. I was just a late week. Was up late doing these podcasts. Uh, Stayed up late the one night, the night before actually, watching the the Jadakiss extravaganza, Locks versus Dipset. So that was another one of my late nights. Followed up with a podcast after that one, uh, and I just couldn't do it. So second quarter rolled around on Thursday, and I was done. Benito. So I didn't make it, uh, and then when I woke up and I checked all the stats, I was like, okay, <laughs> glad I went. I, I got an early night there because uh, it really was not well played at all. Again, Hall of Fame games never are. Um But there really wasn't any kind of salvation you could get out of that game. And then that was followed by the multi-night induction ceremony, which took a normally cool and enjoyable evening and just bludgeoned it, bludgeoned it to death like Tommy Boy in that little dinner roll. Just kept stabbing it and stabbing it. I mean, I, I know they had to do the make good. Because they didn't get last year's in, so it was double duty this year. But there, there just feels like there, there was a better way to do it because it was just too much. I mean, shit, I haven't checked, but is there somebody giving a speech right now? 
is there? There probably is. I would imagine that there is. Um, because it just feels like there was speeches given every night. I mean, I know it was just two nights, but I, I mean, it just feels like turn on your TV and it's, you know, everything. Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Hall of Fame induction ceremony. You know, ESPN2 right now is, is rerunning the, uh, they got Drew Pearson up here now doing it, but they're rerunning the, the speeches. I mean, it's just never ending. But, I'm, you know, anyway, whatever. Congrats to the 2020 and 2021 inductees. Congratulations. Enjoy your yellow jackets, including Edrin James. I mean, Edrin James. Whoa. He was out of college, coming out of the U. His first two years in Indianapolis were just phenomenal. I mean, really tough to touch the numbers he threw out. In his first two years, he had 1,500 yards on the ground and then another five, almost 600 receiving. And then his second year, he had 17 on the ground and almost 600 receiving. So his first two years, yards from scrimmage was 2139 in his rookie year. 2139 in his rookie year. And then 2303 in his second year. With a total of, how many TDs did he have in total? 17 in his first year and 18 in his second year. I mean, by all accounts, epic beast mode coming right out of college. And then he blew his knee out. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was a Monday night game. I was actually watching that game at Casey O'Toole's in Wayne, New Jersey. Um, uh, and I remember seeing him and I... I might have had him in fantasy, and I, I just remember being really pissed for some reason. Maybe it was because I had him on fantasy. Maybe it was just because he, he was such a good player, and it just sucked to go down. So, you know, he he, he lost that year. The year after that, he was not great. Um, he came back. At, you know, he, I think that – let me pull up the stats here. The year he came back, he played 14 games – he only averaged three and a half yards uh, from the line of scrimmage. Uh, put up 13.43. But, I mean, you look at those first two years, 21.39 and 23.03 yards from scrimmage with 17 and 18 touchdowns, and then take away the next year because he, he blew his knee out. But the years after that, where he was in Indianapolis, he had 13.43, 15.51, then he had another 2001, uh, 2031. That was 04. And then 2005, he had 1843. So after the knee injury, he had about 1350, about 1550, 2000, and then 1850. So, I, and then, you know, he did three years in Arizona where, I mean, he was. Pretty pitiful. Uh, I mean, and you just saw he didn't have anything. Now, granted, he did not have a line out in Arizona, and that team was pretty awful. But he ran uh, three and a half yards a carry, three point eight yards carry, three point nine yards carry. Uh, then he did one more year in Seattle, which I don't even remember. He only played seven games, so. Um, but I mean, really, as great as Edron James was, I fail to see how this is a Hall of Fame career at all. But that's just me. You know, you can go through the running backs 
that are in the Hall of Fame. I forget how many there are now. 32 maybe was the number, but I pulled a whole bunch. You want to have a argument for Edron James. You could take like the following guys and just say, hey, I mean, he was better than that. You know, Zonka, Larry Zonka, I, he played for, I, I mean, he was a Finn, he was for, played for the Finns, part of the undefeated team. You know, I think that was more history, and I don't know when he went in either. So the time that you go in obviously impacts it. So I don't know when he went in. He went early after his retirement, 79, right? How many years offhand? I don't know how many years it is offhand, but, you know, you retire, and then you got so many years, and then you get to vote, uh, and you got to get voted in. But Zonka would be one. John Riggins, again, I you know... He played 71 to 79 and then 81 to 85. I think he did, did he blow a knee out and that's what uh I can't remember why that there was that year off. But anyway, um 71 to let's say 71 to 85 and he had his best years when he had two crazy years when he was super old. And it was when he was 34 and 35 years old were his best years. He had 1,300 yards rushing, 1,200 yards rushing. And, uh, you know, back then, those guys didn't get anything out of the backfield. So, um, Riggins you could throw in there. Terrell Davis only because he had a short career, and he's in the Hall of Fame, although his seasons that he had were phenomenal. I mean, he had that 2,000-yard season, he had that monster one, I think, the year before that. Um, before he blew his knee out. But he didn't really have a long career either. And that one, too, head-scratching that he would be allowed into the Hall of Fame just with uh, you know the stats that he has. I mean, he just didn't play long enough. Uh, Jerome Bettis, uh, again, the boss. Uh, hey, an iconic, I wouldn't say a historic, I would say an iconic stealer. And kind of brought a return of the hard-hitting, smash-mouth Steeler football. Because his stats are okay. They're not great. Uh, another questionable one. And then, then you have, you know, you got two players that are probably comparable to Edron James that are in. And I would say one is Thurman Thomas. Especially since Thurman Thomas was the double threat same as Edron James was. You know, that was the one of the great things about Edge's game was he was so good out of the backfield, and he played for that Peyton Manning Colts offense. So he got crazy utilization in that regard. I, I mean, his, again, almost 600 yards his first two years out of the league, out of the backfield, at a time when that really wasn't done. You know, I mean, he, he's not agent, but, uh, you know, his he played from 99 basically 2009, and the current you know, offensive revolution is, is a couple of years old here where the running backs are just being used so much out of the backfield. You know, back then, Edge was... I mean, Marshall Falk got used out of the backfield quite a bit. Um, but, I mean, primarily, it was running with very little catching, and, and that'll be the next person that I mentioned. But Thurman Thomas was probably the most comparable in... Uh, out of the players of modern history, I guess. Of course, Thurman played 88 all the way through 2000, uh, although he had a, a big fall off after his 
96 when he turned 30, and then he grinded out a, a couple more years in Buffalo and then one year that didn't work out in Miami. But Thurman coming out of the gate, I'm just going to go yards from scrimmage. He had 1,000, then he had 1,900, 1,800, 2,000, 2,000, 1,700, 1,400, 1,200, 1,300, and that was his 30th year. Uh, That was when he was 30. That was 96, and then it kind of peeled away after that. But, you know, I mean, you look at those comparisons, and, I mean, he's got almost – you know, you want to round up the 18. He's got one, two, three, four years that are basically about 2,000 yards. And then the 1,700 right after that, you know, maybe a fifth. You go to Edges, and Edge has the one, two, three years that are 2,000 or above. And then he's got a 13, 15. He's got a 13 and 15, and then that injury year. Now he he didn't do oh and he also got an eighteen hundred uh, in Indianapolis too so he's got the eighteen two thousand two thousand two thousand so it's very very similar to Thurman Thomas um, you know should Thurman be in there I, I don't know I, I guess the argument could be me I mean Thurman Thomas was uh, ahead of ahead of his time really I mean the, his gameplay thermal baby as uh, what's his face coined him all the time uh, Chris Berman. Um, I actually can't yes, believe what I, I just saw. I, yeah, I, I fumbled trying to think of your name, but, you know, happens. So, Thurman, you could probably make an argument. There, there's the comp, There's the comp right, for Edge. And then there's Curtis Martin. I, Curtis Martin was not nearly the dual threat that Thurman was. He had a, at least one good year out of the backfield where he had like 500 yards. But his yards for scrimmage were all basically, you know, running. You know, count him good for two to three hundred yards a year in receptions. But I mean, he did it forever. I mean, he went from twenty-two to thirty-two, and his final year in two thousand five, it really fell off. But I mean, these these were Curtis Martin's yards from scrimmage: uh, seventeen fifty. 1500, 1500, 1600, 1700, 1700, 1800, 1500, 1500, almost 2000 at the age of 31, where he had 1697, almost 1700 yards on the ground and 14 touchdowns. And then the year after that, he only played in 12. I can't remember if he got hurt, but he was done after that. So he played one more year after that big year he had. Most yards from scrimmage at 31 years old in 2004 for the Jets. And then he had one more year and he was finished. Um, so th- those would be the, the the question marks that you could say, hey, Edge definitely deserves to be in. Sanka Riggins and Terrell Davis are in there. You know, and and, and, and Bettis. You, you also got Thurman in there as a comp. It, and it kind of matches what he did. I don't, you know, who's who's more historic within the NFL. Thurman Thomas or Edron James? I, I would think Thurman Thomas, to be completely honest. Remember, that Buffalo Bills team went to four Super Bowls in a row. Four in a row. And then Curtis, but uh, you know you can't really ma- match Curtis's longevity. I mean, he was just so good for so long. 
Uh, you know, so Edge goes in there with those guys, and then the likes of Jim Brown, Earl Campbell, Eric Dickerson, Tony Torsett, Marshall Falk, Franco Harris, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Gail Sayers, O.J. Simpson, Emmett Smith, and and then Edge, and then Edge. So, what up? So anyway, uh, that's it for the Hall of Fame game. Uh, that just you know whatever. I, well, we'll get into the game a little bit here, but that's it for the Hall of Fame itself. And Edge it was just something that uh, I call my. Caught my eyes as I was looking through all this kind of stuff. But uh, let's hit up the games. And that game, like I mentioned, Hall of Fame game 16-3. Steelers beat the Cowboys. Lock it under. I mean, it was a locker row. Um, it, I, a couple of things I did look. I looked at Micah Parsons, Najee Harris. I thought they both looked good. One of the freaky things was watching a linebacker play with a number 11 on his jersey. And... I know that the NFL did this a while ago, and everybody was kind of prepped for it. Tom Brady, I know, made a stink saying that it was going to kind of be screwy trying to identify guys at the at the line because you're just so used to, okay, linebackers, they're in the 50s, or and then they made them in the 40s. But the linebackers, there you go. Now it's going to be like, okay... I, I I don't he's not a, he's not 40s up he's 11 I think he's a a linebacker ultimately you'll probably recognize all the big names by their jerseys and you just have to do the recon but I'm I'm sure for somebody like Tom Brady who just doesn't care it's all it, it's all system right he probably gets up to the line and he just knows how to identify the players by their jersey numbers so that's going to be something new because now the whole a array of linebackers could be anywhere from 1 to 59 now. So, and you saw it for the first time here in this Hall of Fame game, Mike Parsons flying around. The other thing that also shows to me is the NFL knew that that ruling was coming down the pike because when the NFL gave the thumbs up on this, I, I would imagine, again, being a cynic, and I remembered what a cynic was. <laughs> I forgot about that on Thursday with my brother, but I remembered it here, motherfucker. Uh, uh, you know, being the cynic that I am, you know, I, the NFL knows people who know people who know people. And now with the college football ruling that all of the players are going to be able to capitalize on their name and likeness, it only makes sense that they now would want to also carry through on making money off their number. Right, I mean, it. Micah Parsons is eleven. I don't know if he was eleven in high school. Let's assume that he was eleven in high school. You know, just an example because they, you know that's what you're going to see. Players that were a number X going through high school, they carried over to college. So Micah Parsons is eleven in high school, eleven in college, and then he gets to go to the pros and he becomes fifty nine. What? I mean, because it's available and it's a quarter, it, it, and it's a linebacker number. Or, so, you know, 45. Micah Parsons, number 45. And everybody in Penn State with their 11 jerseys is like, what? What the? You know. This, I think, allows, helps them along some way, shape, or form, you know, monetarily speaking, because they probably could capitalize more on their numbers being able to carry them from one place to the other. But anyway, it is... Regardless of the financial benefit to the players that might come that way, it's just going to be weird watching it from a viewer standpoint because 
if you are accustomed to watching football and trying to identify formations and sets, I, I mean, sure, a lot of people know the players, but it's tough to know all the players. And so now, you know, with all the the different formations that are run and all the personnel that are used, you know, sure, you're going to know your team. I'll know the Giants. My brother will know the Raiders. You know, you'll know the Bills. You'll know the Texans. You'll know the uh, Chargers. But for the everyday fan, you know, it's going to change outside of your team. So you're going to have to do a, a little bit of work, I would imagine, on the front end to figure out what you're looking at all the time, if you're into that kind of thing. If you just like to watch the game and you're just kind of looking at it, you probably don't give a shit. So, um, But anyway, so that was the one of the things that I noticed. And then injuries, there wasn't really anything. Chase Claypool looked like he avoided the injury. Kalen Balaj, Kalen Balaj, I, you know, like that guy, for just years, just fucking up everybody's fantasy football. Because everybody keeps saying, oh, Kalen Blodge, he's the guy. Wasn't Matt Berry big on Kalen Blodge? Matt Berry, that guy, such a knob. I think he was big on Kalen Blodge for year after year, and, and he never did anything. Well, it sounds like he got banged up. I haven't looked, but I know he, he had a knee injury, and, and he was not looking good. Then it was the big story of the night in terms of injury, and that was Dak Prescott's ongoing shoulder injury. And I agree that it really isn't starting to sound good because now you can see everybody trying to beat each other to the story and provide the quote-unquote real deal about the injury. Troy Aikman's going up there. He's saying, you know, it doesn't really feel good when they're being so mysterious about the injury and he's not practicing as much as he's not. And there was, um, during the broadcast... Uh, who interviewed Dak? I guess it was, uh, who was it? It wasn't Strahan. It was Bradshaw. Bradshaw interviewed him, right, if I'm not mistaken, and asked him about the injury, saying was it an over-the-shoulder or under-the-shoulder. Uh, so everybody and their brother is trying to figure out what exactly is wrong with Dak's shoulder. And I agree, you know, sometimes... It's just when there's smoke, there's fire. And here, it really feels like there's a little bit of smoke here to the shoulder injury. I read today, Sunday, that he started to throw through a little bit, and they're going to see how it goes. Well, I mean, look, shit. We are weeks away from the the home opener. Uh, or not the, their home opener, but the season opener, game one. So that's going to go by really fast. And shoulder injuries... I mean, they don't heal overnight. So, and this is his throwing shoulder. And if there's any kind of question as to if this shoulder is fully healed or not, you would err on the side of caution. Because again, the last thing that you want to do is push a shoulder injury early in the year and then have something rip and tear if it's not ripped or torn currently. But push it and then create that rip and tear Early in the season, you'd rather just sit on them, let them rest it, take a month, you know, forget it. The first four games of the regular season or preseason anyway. So take the first four weeks off. We'll go with a backup and we'll just get you back on the field when we can. So there is a lot of dark clouds hovering over Dak Prescott. And I'm sure we will hear sooner than later what's going on with that injury. If he is not back there throwing or at any point they say that we're just sitting him out for the whole rest of the preseason. 
early, then you know for sure there's something going on with his shoulder, and it'll probably bleed into the regular season. We'll wait and see. Uh, Jimmy, talking about Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson is going to be in the Cowboys ring of honor. Congratulations, Jimmy. That should have happened day one. After he turned that entire program around. Again, Cowboys, what a debacle that the whole Jimmy Johnson era was in the sense that he should have probably had at least one more ring. I mean, that was his team. And for him and Jerry Jones to have that fallout that he did. And for Jerry Jones, an owner, to think, and still to this fucking day, think that you are a football personnel guy and a mastermind of the NFL game. Come on. You're the only one that thinks it, dude. The only one. Those championships were jimmies. They were jimmies. And so was the other one that Barry Switzer won. That was Jimmy's too. It was all Jimmy's. It had nothing to do with Jerry Jones and it had nothing to do with Barry Switzer. And all those, that whole success, I mean, man, it just was so short-lived. And even though I'm a Giant fan, I, I, you know, you, I just feel bad for him because they, he built such a good thing and he pulled... All that college right over to Cowboy Land and just did such a fantastic job building that team because it was struggling before he did that. You know, the, the running backs was Tommy Agee and Danny White was dead. I think they, who was playing for them at that Steve Walsh, maybe? Was that the quarterback at the time? Whoever it was, but they, they were in the fucking dumper. You know, and they get Troy Aikman, they pull over Jimmy, they, you know, the whole thing, and it really came together well, and that was all because of Jimmy. So he will now get to go into the Cowboy Ring of Honor. Congratulations to Jimmy. And the final note on that game is the viewers. Wow. The viewers clocked in, baby. They clocked in at 7.3 million dollars. Million viewers. 7.3 million viewers turned in to watch that stinker, stinker preseason game. And that was the most watched preseason game in four years. That game. <laughs> Believe it. That game was the most watched preseason game in four years. That 16-3 to scoring extravaganza. So, um, all right, that's it for the preseason game. Four days old and, and late with that review, but uh, fuck it. There it is. Uh, injuries. These are the notable ones for the past couple of days since I talked to you. Uh, Ravens D-back, Jimmy Smith. He got Carter off the field, but then he got better news afterward. Turns out that he's minor sprain, I think, on the ankle, so he's not going to be out for a long period of time. Lamar Jackson, he's back at practice. He got activated from the COVID-19 list, so he's Good and ticking. Vikings Jeffer Justin Jefferson went down hard. Ah! And he has an AC joint sprain. And I guess they're going to do further testing. And last I checked today, there was no more news on it. But if you watch the video and it's out there, he goes down on that. And I guess it's his right shoulder. If I'm watching the video right and it's not an inverted uh, video. Goes down on his right shoulder, hits it. And it, I mean, when I first saw it and I heard this, I, I was thinking collarbone. Because it's exactly how collarbones break when you go down like that. 
but he's just thriving around on the ground in pain. And ultimately, they say it's an AC joint. So it's going to be a shoulder injury of some time. I, I would highly doubt you see him at this point now in the preseason. He's probably done for the preseason because he's their guy. And they can't really risk having him further that injury. So they are going to put him on the sidelines now for the rest of preseason. And now the question is exactly what is the extent of the injury and whether he can return early in the early in the year or maybe a la Dak Prescott. Maybe if it's bad, they just give him the first four weeks off to heal that up for the you know the, the final, well, it's not 12 anymore, right? It's going to be 13 games of the season. Uh, other injuries, Tyreek Hill, he's back at practice, so he is injured no more. He, uh, what did he, he banged up a knee, but he's back at practice. Kenny Galladay is not, however, the new Giants acquisition. He pulled a hammy, and he's going to miss two to three weeks. The scary thing about this is that he had a hamstring injury previously, and he missed a bunch of games. And there is now the question, uh, you know, is Kenny Galladay injury-prone? Is he? You know, you, you, you don't know, but it's a possibility now. And a hamstring for a wide receiver, again, difficult. Two to three weeks, I doubt you see him in preseason either. They just signed him. They... they they're trying to give Daniel Jones as many hands around him to help him achieve the superstar status that Dave Kettleman believes he can attain. attain. And I don't think that they're going to risk Kenny Galladay anymore now that he has he's going to miss a couple of weeks anyway, so you might as well just bench him so that that hamstring doesn't continue on. DJ Shark, another wide receiver, he had a big year two years ago. Last year, not so much. Solid Performer, though, he just had finger surgery. He's going to be out again. They The Jags now say they expect him back week one, which means I think you can say sayonara for the preseason with DJ Shark. Regardless, it just would have been nice to see him work a little bit in that third game with Trevor Lawrence, but you'll just have to wait to see how that uh, how that chemistry works itself out when the regular season starts. Um, What else we got here on the list? Dolphins third rounder, Hunter Long. He was the tight end. Remember they drafted him? Um, And and Dolphins, obviously, Patriots south. So they drafted Hunter Long, third round, tight end. He got carted off with a leg injury. And so I believe that happened today. So you will hear soon enough what exactly happened with that, but cart and leg are usually two words that don't go well together with NFL injuries. And Patriots newly acquired Raekwon McMillan, a nice linebacker that they plucked from Patriots South. They took him from the Dolphins and signed him. Well, unfortunately, he is going to be out for 2021 as he tore his ACL and so now he's out. So he was gonna be he was gonna be a player in there. I, I don't know if he ultimately would have started, but he definitely would have gotten a lot of PT. I thought it was good in down in Miami. I had actually drafted him as an IDP. So I followed him a little bit and caught him in a couple of games and I I, I liked his game, but he will not be participating in twenty twenty one as he is out. So that's all the injuries I've got lined up here, I'm sure there are plenty more, but of the big ones and notables, those are the ones that I picked out. 
Elsewhere, we will go to the Cashish, where there was a couple of signings. Number one, Josh Allen and the Bills reached a long-term contract. Six years, $258 million, 150 guaranteed. <laughs> now, you look at, you know, Nick Chubb, three years, what, $32 million, something like that? So, you know, $32 million versus 258 It's like, holy shit. Quarterbacks, man, that's the way to go. But, you know, quarterbacks basically make NBA money. NBA, Julius Randle just signed for, what, seven years, $110 million or something like that? I mean, Julius Randle. I mean, that... Julius Randle. No, he's not. What are you talking about? That guy is not good. That guy is a disgrace well, Mike, to the uniform. No, 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 no. He's not a disgrace to the uniform either. Okay, you guys are arguing polar opposites here. You know, he's not that boy good, and he's not a, a disgrace to the uniform. He, you know, Julius Randle's an okay player, but nowhere worthy of a hundred and twenty million dollars or whatever the hell they just threw at him. But then again, that's NBA money and that's what the quarterbacks make. Quarterbacks make NBA money. Everybody else just makes, you know, professional athlete money, which is good money. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But, you know, quarterbacks are just a a different animal altogether. Now, Dolphin, I got to eat some crow here, although it's a screwy, it's a screwy contract deal. I never thought in a million years that Dolphin's would have entertained giving Xavier Howard a new contract because the the downstream effects that giving him a new contract would have had, I thought for the league, would have been horrific. They gave him more money, but they didn't give him a new contract. They did a contract renegotiation. And basically from what I read... What they did was they just took money that wasn't guaranteed and guaranteed it. I think they upped his current salary a little tiny bit to put him in a higher average. And then in future years, they converted like the injury guaranteed to an actual guarantee. And then they guaranteed more money when he came into camp. So basically, this two-year thing is so long as he stays on the team... This money that wasn't guaranteed is going to be now guaranteed, plus he gets a little bit of an upper performance bonuses that can add on the back end. And performance bonuses are, are, are the best way to get around this debacle because you can't just renegotiate. and You can't rip up the old contract and give him a new contract. It would destroy contracts as we know it. If you gave somebody who just signed a deal two years ago a brand new contract and threw the contract out, everybody would... Too, Two years on their contract, but like, no, screw it, tear mine up too. So they did a little bit of creative contracting as they converted money over that was previously unguaranteed, guaranteed it, and then ratcheted some of it up for a little bit. So that that's how they got out of that deal. So Xavier Howard will be continuing on in South Florida, at least for the time being. And I think they said they could revisit the contract after next year so that they could give him a new one. Maybe that was this year, but I'm pretty sure it was next year. Regardless, it's not a full contract redo. It's just a, a, you know, a little renegotiation to guarantee him some extra money. So he got his deal. Colts Darius Leonard. This was the 
contract that lit up the sky because Darius Leonard agreed to a five-year extension. 900, no, well, 900, Jesus, that would be one hell of an extension. 99.25 million, 52.5 million guaranteed. Darius Leonard, who remember, got his bell rung so much last year that he had the concussion, he was out, and he talked about how it was so scary because he didn't know if he was going to be like that forever. And now he's injured yet again, and he's not in practice. And they just gave him a five-year extension for $100 million, half of which is guaranteed. Nick Chubb got a little rinky-dink three-year deal for like 30-something million. Now, I think when I was reading it, the average of guarantees for the two were similar early, but I mean... The Nick Chubb deal is not this deal. No flipping way. Darius Leonard cranked it and knocked this one right out of the park. I think it makes him the highest paid interior linebacker ever, inside linebacker ever. I think I read that somewhere. Um, I forget what it was. I don't know who that over came, but that was what I read. Anyway, Darius Leonard, congratulations on your cash. You can, you know, fill a whole bunch of that into your mattress and just sleep on money, making a hundred mil. That's pretty impressive. Uh, and talking about salaries, salary re- renegotiations, and contract extensions. Tom Brady chimed in with a whole, he didn't, with a whole bunch. I was going to say Tom Brady chipped in with a whole bunch of this. He didn't chip in with a whole bunch, a whole bunch of what, Egg? What the fuck are you talking about? Tom Brady chimed in, and it was related to all of these salary items because he basically is just pointing out NFLPA, don't be a sucker here because. The, the league is making a ton of money. And so he comes up and he says, this is, I, I don't, was this, it might have been a tweet. Maybe that's what it was. He writes, Tom Brady, the salary cap dropped by 20% and the new media deals were announced the day after the 2021 salary cap was set. NFL players better wake up at NFL PA. NFL players are ignorant. I mean, woo. <laughs> That's some fire out of the goat. Some fire out of the goat. 100% accurate. Hit it right on the head. Because I know that last year these NFL teams took a little bit of a shot because they didn't pull the revenue in, right? But for the salary cap to drop this year because of it is a bunch of happy horseshit. That salary cap never should have dropped. I'm sorry. I, I'm it, you know keep it the same it was the year before, but to drop it, pleading poverty. I, I mean, that 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 happens. That happens. Sometimes you, you get a bad year, but this one because it was COVID and I. What do the players have to do with the fact that you can't have fans in the stands? And that's hurting your beer sales and your ticket sales. and your, I mean, it doesn't. It's not their fault. It's not that it's the owner's fault either. However, the owners make a big rip on that end of the ball. 
And the NFL players don't even come close to making that rip. And now they got to take a, a knock in their salary cap. Uh, Tom Brady smashed out of the park with this one. Um, you know, but he's on his way out. So this was very, that was kind of very much that, that little Instagram or Twitter comment he made. Remind me a lot of, of LeBron James trying to be the elder statesman for all of the players in the NBA. It was a very LeBron James-esque statement, if you will. But Tom Brady jumping in there telling the NFL players, hey, wake up, don't let these owners just continue to rake in more and more money with these historic media contracts. And you, you know, every, all of us have to take a 20% pay cut. I mean, what the fuck? Saints uh, wide receiver Michael Thomas, going to him, they started talking all weekend long about how this injury, which was really weird to begin with, because who gets surgery right when camp opens? It doesn't make any sense, uh, you know, for an injury that happened last year. I mean, you probably needed the surgery ages ago, so why didn't you get it? And there was big question marks all over the place. And now it's coming out that the Saints tried to contact Michael Thomas repeatedly. And Thomas ignored all the communications that were coming in from the team. That to, This, to me, sounds like it is on its way for divorce. Because it, the story didn't make sense to begin with. You just lost Drew Brees. I'm sure Thomas sees the writing on the wall that his numbers are going to go down. And this might buy him some time in the sense that Peyton can figure out what he's doing with the quarterback situation and have that offense fixed and up and running if you can fix anything with James Winston. And then Thomas can come back later because the beginning won't matter if it's a mess, and he can just come in there, slide in there, and take his roll back, and then put up good numbers. You know, once he returns, that that's that's kind of how uh, I'm thinking this came about. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. It just nothing makes sense about him not doing the surgery, and then all of a sudden doing the surgery once camp starts, and now the team coming out and saying that we were trying to get a hold of him and he just never contacted us back. So again, smoke equals fire. Jets quarterback Zach Wilson all over the New York papers talking about he had a terrible game. I I don't know what game it was. It was a practice game, simulated game in at MetLife Stadium. This probably was their fan fest. I actually went to the Jets fan fest a couple of years ago. Took my kid there, and they did you know, inter-squad scrimmage or whatever. But whatever game this one tended to happen to be, it was a simulated game, and allegedly Zach Wilson stunk up the goddamn stadium. So, again, who cares about week one of preseason? And who really cares about a simulated game? People need something to write about. And so that was what they were writing about uh, yesterday or the day before. Uh, Steelers wide receiver James Washington, he wants to trade. Remember, he was their second rounder in 2018. Uh, He is a stinky poo. He's no good. You you want to get traded, go ahead. Uh, I don't know what they're going to get in return for you. But uh, I I don't know. James Washington at this point looks like he was a swing and a miss. 
That said, he'll probably hang around the league for like another five years, catching on with team after team after team. But he thinks that he deserves more, so he's demanding a trade. Giants lost another veteran to retirement. Now, this was a story that really catches your eye because, remember, the question about Joe Judge is, who the hell is he, right? I mean, nobody knows. You have one year, one year of coaching, and some Giant fans and media people were ready to put him up there on Mount Rushmore. Ready to put him up there on Mount Rushmore. You are a stupid. I asshole. didn't say it. That's what you know. Some people are very high on him, and you know the words coming out against him. I mean, obviously said by the likes of uh, Mark Colombo, but others as well that. He's kind of a little mini Saban, a little mini Belichick. And that approach never works. It never works. It has not yet. It has not yet. Remember the Jason Daniels famous explosion up there in Denver. And he's never got he, he hasn't taken another job. He you know, he almost took that one with the Colts and then he stuck him in the back, but um so now what you see here is you see veterans come to the Giants because the Giants need some bodies and they turn around and retire. Linebacker Todd Davis, gone. Offensive lineman Joe Looney from the Cowboys, gone. And now the offensive lineman Zach Fulton that they got from the Texans who, when they got him, I was like, oh, you know, they've got some players now on the offensive line and they've got a little bit of depth. They can have, you know, Fulton, gone. And that was the third player in four days to retire. And to me, that shows me these veterans are coming in here and they are basically doing a couple of practices, looking at themselves when all the other youngins leave and are just like, hey, dude, are you in for this shit? Fuck no. Not me either. <laughs> We're done. I'm not running fucking laps and doing you know sprints and push-ups and all this kind of shit. No, thank you. You know, I, I, I'm too old for this shit. And sign on they are. So, look, if Joe Judge wins, he's a fantastic coach, and this is the way you want to conduct yourself in the NFL or coaching wherever, college, you know, wherever the approach nets wins, that's the approach to be taken. But if it blows up, you're going to hear story after story about how Judge can't hack it. And his approach is not meant for modern football. It's just what's going to happen. And you can. And the reason I say that is because these, I mean, these veterans, they'll take a check and they'll play, and they're probably okay. I, I thought Fulton was a good addition, you know. And Todd Davis, body, Looney, body, they can play. Maybe they aren't the greatest players, but they can play. And now they're not playing at all. They just voluntarily were like, I'm out. Sorry, I'm retiring. <laughs> you have shown me that my time has come and gone. Uh, and in other Giant news, which was funny because the other thing coming out of Giants camp, showing to, to me at least that I think that this coaching staff is still a gigantic work in progress. And stands right in front of a big question mark billboard because you have Jason Garrett coming out the other day at a press, I guess it was a presser, afternoon presser, whatever, reporters came in, had the ability to talk to Garrett. 
And somebody referred to him and said, good to see you, Coach, or good to see you, John. And he turns around, or good to see you, Jason, sorry. Good to see you, Jason. And he turns around and he goes, I, good, to see, good to see you, Coach. That's how we do it around here. And said it as he's walking off stage left with a big smirk on his face. This guy is king asshole. King asshole. First of all, Judge is the coach. You are not the coach. You are a coordinator. And the reason that you're a coordinator is because you were a coach. And you blew it. We gave you a chance and you blew it. You had the coaching gig in Dallas. And your owners stood behind you year after year after year as you just stood there and clapped. Clapped. And now you clapped your way all the way to coordinate position because you clapped more than you won in Dallas. And so you, so you were shown the door. And so you're a coordinator now. So if somebody says, says, nice to see you, Jason, unless that person, I mean, knowingly, was like a 22-year-old first-time reporter being a fucking asshole. If it was just a random Giants reporter to turn around and been like, coach, good to see you, coach. That's how we do it around here. Is that how you do it around here? How do you really do it around here? I bet you and Judge do it a whole different way when doors... No, I can't, can't, can't say those things. Though, that, you know, come on. Come on. Are you fucking retarded? No, no, no. I was going to make a joke and then... Uh, you know, he decided, you, know, you can't make those kind of jokes anymore, you know. And, uh, you know, and so I, I didn't say it, but uh, I, I hit that sound bite instead. You are a stupid I asshole. know, because, well, I'm not saying the other bad word there. That that was that was the girl from 40-Year-Old Virgin that said the other bad word. I dropped that sound bite quite a bit. But, yes, uh, I was just saying that the Giants do it differently. And Jason Garrett is making sure that you know that they do it differently because you are going to address him as coach. Devin Funches, Packers wide receiver. This story is meaningless in its uh, meaningless in, in its relevance to the NFL, but he was talking to reporters and reporters were I forget what the question was, but everybody has masks on. And he looks at them and he goes, I, I can't hear what you said, but I know that you guys are smiling behind those masks because your eyes are all chinky. Um, I don't know. Uh, to me, this is not a colossal big deal. The terminology chinky, chinky-eyed, if you listen to rap music, has been used for probably 20 years, 20 plus years. Um, I it is something, you know, I don't even know how to, you know, I'm going to walk into a minefield here. But, um, I mean, it's just not something that is derogatorily said. It's more or less like a characterization. Now, I know that that doesn't make it right. I'm just saying that for years it was used with no negative intent. It was used to try to identify, I mean, chinky-eyed in, in rap terminology was a lot of people that were usually hide, were high as a kite, and so their eyes were squinting. And so chinky-eyed became squinting because, uh, you know, of, you know, the Asian population's, you know, eye appearance and physical features, right? So, I, I mean, it just became kind of slang. 
he used it here, which was stupid. You can't say it publicly, you know, at all. Um, but again, I didn't know if it warranted this over-the-top apology. It was, you know, the Packers don't applaud it. This is not Packer. You know, this is not the way the Packers conduct themselves. He came out and was like, you know, I, I, it wasn't said hateful. It was, there was no excuse for it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I don't know. It, it was not a big deal. I it just, he used, a, you know, slang. He flubbed. It was a fuck up. Who cares? He wasn't saying anything vindictively. He was just saying he knew people were smiling because they were squinting. So, is what it is, but <laughs> it is kind of funny if you think about it. I mean, if, if uh, I don't know, give me some kind of random, you know, second team, third. Cole Beasley. If Cole Beasley turned around and told the reporters, hey, I, I know you guys aren't, uh, I know you guys, I can't see your faces, but I know you guys are smiling because your eyes are all chinky. Um, he would have been gone. He would have been shown the door and given his walking papers. Uh, that would have been it for him. Uh, Devin Funches, he gets an apology, and he will be returning to the Packers. And the final thing I noted that I thought was interesting was that seven German cities expressed interest in hosting an NFL game. And, I mean, NFL's big. Big league. It's a big, 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 big league. And it was really popular in Germany. I know that from a couple of people of German descent that I talked to, that, that uh, you know, from family. Um, I mean, years back, there was somebody from my family that came over here and actually played uh, a little bit. I, I think it was like a semi-pro team, or maybe he came over as a, as a, a transfer student and... Uh, and maybe he was a transfer student in high school and he played. But Germany has always had a little soft spot for American football um, over there. And obviously enough so that they want to host some kind of NFL game. Now, London and Germany are close, but not that close. I, I would think that trying to pull off some kind of game, if not... That maybe a preseason game in Germany could do, but I don't know if Germany would want a preseason game. They probably want the real deal. But uh, I don't know if that would really be manageable. I, the NFL wants to hit Europe. They've wanted to hit Europe forever. That's why they did World League. That's why they do these games out at Wembley. They want some of that international money because they saw they see what it could do for a league like the NBA, and they like to replicate it here. Logistically, it's just different because it's just much harder to do. The sport is just different. So I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off, but Germany does have interest. Germany does have interest, and so we'll see down the line if they end up doing more games in more European cities. Um, and so that was basically it for the weekend. There was another thing that I was going to hit, but I've been running a little long, uh, long a tooth here with the with the pod at uh, about 50 minutes, actually a little more than that. So we'll just wrap up and call it a Sunday. I'll get to the other thing I was thinking about uh, maybe another time. But uh, enjoy your Mondays and hope that. 
You don't have a case of the Moon Days, uh, which is the title for last week's pod. Uh, and enjoy. We'll talk to you after that. We've got exciting week two of preseason coming up. Hopefully we don't hear about injuries. We just hear about good stories. We get some good preseason action thrown our way. I am going to the Giants Jets, which is usually week three, but this year it's week two. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, hopefully some of the rest of you will also be attending some of these preseason games and get yourself your first taste of live football since last year. Uh, You know, since many many places didn't have live football going on. So anyway, peace out. I'll talk to you later.